Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. If you have your Bibles here this morning, turn to Luke chapter 12. If you don't, we'll throw the scriptures up on the screen. What I want to do today is I really want to answer a question about life, really maybe the question about life. The question could be phrased like this. What is the essence of life? Or what is the purpose of life? Why am I here? Why do I exist? What's this supposed to be about? See, what happens in Luke chapter 12 is that Jesus Christ answers that question. And so we're going to look closely at what Jesus Christ says in the 12th chapter of Luke. And I'm encouraging you to just be asking the Spirit of God what He wants to teach you through this incredible story that Jesus tells and the principles that He communicates that follow. Here's the setup for the story. I just mention it to kind of set the stage Somebody comes to Jesus and they ask him a question. They actually want him to be an arbitrator between them and a family member. They want Jesus to tell their family member to dish out some of the share of the inheritance. Jesus, tell my relative to give me some of the inheritance. And so Jesus makes this statement in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus right there in his opening statement in response to the question sets forth a principle. He establishes a truth, a central truth about life. And then what he's going to do is he's going to follow the statement, the principle, and he's going to tell a story. And the story is going to be the commentary on the principle. He is going to explain the principle in story form. He's going to give it flesh and bone. He's going to give it something tangible, something visual, so that the principle comes to life, can really be understood, can really be grasped. Jesus is the master of that, by the way. In fact, Jesus is the master of everything. But there is no one that told stories and communicated truth in the way that Jesus Christ did. And he's doing it in a really relevant way, in a very relevant situation, in response to this question. 
And so what he does is he begins with the negative side of the principle. And he says, here's what life is not about. Life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And now the story to reinforce the truth. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 19. And he told them a parable. Here's what a parable is. A parable is a story. A parable is simply that. It's Jesus taking a truth. He taught a lot in parables. Him taking a truth and telling a story to explain the truth. To give it flesh. To give it understanding and clarity. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Let's just stop here for a minute in the story and just look at this man. What can we say just in verses 16 to 19 about this man? We could draw out some pretty noteworthy characteristics about him. For example, this man was a successful businessman, right? He's a man that had a probably a diligent work ethic, right? He had been resourceful and he had planned and he had planted obviously properly because that planting, that sowing had an incredible reaping at harvest time. So he's a man that's resourceful, a man that then at the backside of a windfall begins to plan for the future, take account of the situation and put some things into place that's going to protect his investment so that he can continue to get a return on that investment. I mean, this guy sounds like a pretty stand-up, sharp guy. Let me just kind of put this in a picture. I'll kind of paint it in Brad's picture. You paint it in whatever picture you want to paint it in that fits you. This might be something like Brad's picture if I was this man. Had an incredible windfall. What shall I do? Man, I'm going I'm to build bigger barns so that I can sit back in my Barca lounger, brown leather, front of the roaring fireplace, stone fireplace in my log cabin up on the hilltop with, you know, the dead trophies all around the room that I can sit and enjoy while I sip my black and white mocha, right? Whatever, whatever your picture would be, there's what this man is doing. It looks like to me that this man... 
Pretty interesting, right? This is 21 centuries removed. But this looks like the American dream right here, right? This is the pursuit of a free market society and work, hard work and diligent effort and resourcefulness and planning. Man, this is, this is a good guy to emulate, right? And then comes the commentary of Jesus Christ on this man's life. And he says, but God said to him, fool, exclamation point. Fool, this night your life is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, from earthly perspective, from a human viewpoint, we could look at this guy and say, man, this guy's got, the, he's got it right. And God looks from his vantage point of perfection And he says, what an absolute fool that man was. So what I want to do this morning is, first of all, I want to look at this man and I want to dig a little deeper than that just surface precursory look and I want to try to build some principles that were obviously true in this man's life that he lived his life on. Some convictions or a philosophy that he lived his life on. And here's the first one, verse 17. Following his windfall crop, he says to himself in verse 17, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? What shall I do? do. Here's the first truth that we can draw out about this man's life. It was all about him. It was all about him. Do you know what he doesn't do in this entire story? He never factors anyone else into the equation except him. What shall I do? Later, verse 18, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will build bigger ones. I will store. You see, this guy's life is saturated with I, with himself. So that his first motto of life is this, it's all about me. It's all about me. Here's the second thing that we can draw out. Look closely, verses 17 and 18. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. You see this guy has another philosophy of life that he lives by. It's the principle of ownership, and he's the owner. It's not just all about me with this guy. It's all mine with this guy. 
It's all about me and it's all mine. And then number three, in verse 19, he says, once I've built the bigger barns and I've stored all my vast wealth, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You see what this man was doing was that he was trusting in his own ingenuity. He was acting in a way that he thought he was securing his future. So here's a philosophy that this man lived by. Number three, I'm in control. I'm in control. Man, if I do this, I'm locking it down. I'm securing my future for a nice path of pleasure for many years to come. It's all about me, it's all mine, and I'm in control. That's the story of this man's life. And Jesus said, He's a fool. He's a fool. He's not a man that is wealthy and wise. He's a fool. He is bankrupt. What a radically different perspective. So there's the, there's the wrong answer to the question, what's the essence of life? What is life all about? What does life consist of? What am I here for? This man would answer those questions and he would say, I'm here for me. It's all about me. And I'm here to get as much as I can. It's all mine. And I'm able to make that happen. I'm in control. Now what I want to do is I want to look at the opposite side of the principle, the positive side. And try to answer the question in the right way from God's perspective on what life is truly about. And ladies and gentlemen, here's what we need for that. Here's what we need for that. We need God's help in answering that question. You and I cannot speculate our way into the answer for the purpose and the essence of life. Here's why. You have to get that answer from the author of life. He's the one that knows what life is for. He gave it to you. You have to go to the Creator to find out why you're here. What this life is for and what really makes life a life, not just an existence, but a real life. Listen to what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. He's talking about Jesus. 
And Paul wrote, For by Jesus all things were created. How many things, church? All things. How much does that include? Oh, there's some smart people here. How much does all include? All includes all. But in case that is not really clear, he makes another statement, says it again in another way. Things in heaven and on earth. You know, things here on this sphere, on this globe, and everything else in the universe. Again, that's all things. Visible and invisible. Says it a third time. In a third way. Everything you can see and everything that you can't see. All created by Him. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Did you hear the last part of that? All things were created by Jesus and all things were created through Him and for Him. And for Him. All things for Him. Created by Him, through Him, and for Him. You see, this man in the story, man, God set this guy up to get it right. We say, wait a minute, God set this guy up. This guy worked hard and got it right. No, God set this guy up to get it right. Why? Because God gave him the seed to plant. And then God, once he had, well, as he went to plant, God gave him the strength to plant it and the understanding to know how to do that. And then once it was planted, God gave the rain to water it and the sun to make it grow. And then at harvest time, this man had an incredible opportunity to show that he understood the truth about life, but instead he said, it's all about me, it's all mine, and I'm in control. You see, he missed the first absolute foundational principle that life must flow out of. And here it is, here it is. The truth is, it's not all about me. It's all about God. It is all about God. I mean, all of it. You say, okay, Brad, are you some you know, radical, kind of off-the-wall guy that wants to stand on the street corners with the cardboard signs, right, and I mean, everything in life is to be about God. You don't compartmentalize your life and make Sunday from 9 to 11 or from 11 to 1 about God. It's all about God. That's the foundational principle of primary principle that makes life work is that we must understand that our life is from God. 
It came through the power of Jesus Christ. And it's for Him. It's all for Him, for His glory, for His purposes. Just let me bring the truth right to our doorstep. Your work is all about God. It should be. Say, Brad, I don't, I don't work in a church like you do. I, not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about whatever you do. It's supposed to be all about God. You're a ditch digger. It's supposed to be about God. You're a painter. You're an electrician. You're an engineer. You're a teacher, professor. It's supposed to all be about God because God is the one that gave you your life and God's the one that gives you breath every day and gives you the strength to do what you do and it's all supposed to be geared toward His purposes, His glory. You see, the man in the story missed the first foundational principle of life. He thought it was all about him. His own language tells us that. And what Jesus is trying to communicate in contrast to that is it's not all about you. It's all about God. The man was a fool. He was an absolute fool because he didn't understand the foundational principle that it is all about God. Your friends are to be all about God. I mean, how do I live in my friendship in such a way that my life complements what God's trying to do in their life? How do I spend my money in such a way that it complements what God's trying to do in and through me? How do I enjoy my recreation? I mean, even that, folks, your recreation is to be all about God. Certainly nothing that dishonors God, but take that a step further. Whatever you do is to be all about God. My family, I'll just illustrate that with my family. We love to ride dirt bikes. All of us, we like to go out in the wild and get on a bike and kind of tour the grandeur of Alaska. Do you know you can do that and make it about God? You're supposed to do that if you do that and make it about God. Like when we're riding and we see the beauty of Alaska, say to my boys, my girls, isn't it cool? God just said, and that was. I mean, he just spoke that into existence. See the beauty of that sunset? God's just painting that right now for you. He's 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 just showing you his glory right now. Gave that for you to enjoy. This recreation that we're participating in, this is a blessing from God because he created us for not only work but for recreation. And so we need to thank him for what's going on here. You see, you can make anything in life about God. We should. Luke chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus goes on to say this. Now, this is in contrast. This is a man who is looking to fulfill his life 
and determine the essence of his life with stuff. And Jesus said in Luke 12, 31, instead, seek his, God's kingdom, and these things will be added to you. See, make your life about God. Set your focus in life on God, his kingdom. Not what you can get out of this life for yourself. Make your life oriented around the principle that it is all about God. Seek first his kingdom. And what will happen is, I don't, there's not a promise here, and these things will be added to you. It's not a promise that you're going to be healthy and wealthy and wise. But there is a promise that as you live a life oriented around the reality that it's all about God, that he'll bless your life. He'll bless you with things that money can't buy. He'll bless you with peace and fulfillment and significance. He'll bless you with true friendship and joy and hope and and a lot of times stuff. But the point is, the focus, the pursuit of your life is to be about God. That's what Jesus is teaching. Now that he's shown the negative side of the principle in this man's story, now he's teaching the positive side of it by some principles, and his principle is seek first the kingdom of God above all else. Secondly, in in just direct opposite to this man, remember what he said? My crops, my barns, my grains, my goods. He said it was all his. The truth is, it's all God's. It's all God's. Everything that you have is God's. Whether you operate under that principle or not, you might be operating under the principle like the man in the story, it's all mine, but it's really not yours. It's God's. He is the one that gave you everything that you have, whether you know him or not. Scripture says, all good things come from above, come from God. That includes the air in your lungs, the beating of your heart, the ability for you to blink your eye and keep your eyes moist so they don't dry out of your eye sockets and fall out of your head. That's from God. That's from God. Your intellect, your ability to process information, your ability to work and have gainful employment, to have a family, to have children, it's all from God. It is all his. See, the the problem is with this man was how he viewed the stuff, right? I'm going to illustrate this because what I'm, I want to make sure that it's, I'm not being confusing here. I'm not saying that stuff is bad. I'm not saying that money is bad. Money is not bad. The question is, how do you view it? How do you treat it? How do you deal with it? That's why Jesus talks so much about money. Because he knew what it could do to us. So here is the way that this man stood in relationship. I'm just going to try to illustrate this. This works for me. I hope it works for you. This man stood... Like this. He had this windfall. 
and he tried to grab it. He tried to white knuckle hold onto it. Man, I'm going I'm to keep this locked down so I can use it over in a long period of time. I'm going to build my bigger barns so that I've got the rest of my life secure as I hold on to this stuff. God said, you're a fool. You're a fool. You're dying tonight. And what's going to happen to what's in your hand? So that's the wrong way. Here's the right way. Or let me show you another wrong way. So we could try to live grasping, right? We could try to live grasping. We could also try to live like this. Hands open, palms down. Meaning this. Money is bad. Stuff is bad. And if I have that, then I must, I must be kind of living worldly. Money's not bad. Resources aren't bad. You know, God's got a lot of resources. He's not bad, right? It's how you deal with it. So how should we stand before God in relationship to material possessions? We should stand like this. We should stand like this. Hands open before God so that this can happen. God can put in whatever he wants to put in. But you keep them open so that God can take out whatever he wants to take out because it is all his. It's all his. So if he decides to bring you a bumper crop so that you have a great windfall, then you receive it, but you receive it with hands open that stay open. And then you recognize, man, God must have done that for a reason. He does everything that he does. He's a God of planning. He's a God of perfect purpose. So he's got to have a reason. So what do I know about God that would help me to understand the reason for him pouring out an abundance into my life? What can I learn from the truth of the word of God that would tell me what I'm supposed to do with this windfall? Am I going to find the truth there that it's all for me? Well, certainly not. Jesus is teaching that right here. So what am I going to learn? Well, here's one thing that you're going to learn all over Scripture from cover to cover, that God loves people. God loves people. And to some people, he pours a windfall into their hands so that through their hands, he can bless other people who have nothing or who have little. You see, God wants us to live in that manner right there if we are some of those that receive the abundance. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 and 18. As this is Paul, the great apostle, teaching Timothy, his protege, how to talk to the wealthy people in his church. Listen. As for the rich in this present age, Timothy, charge them not to be haughty, not to be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't be like the 
rich guy that said, I'll build bigger barns, right, and set myself up. No, but on God, set their hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are the, those that God gives an abundance to. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You see, what he's teaching us there, if we can illustrate it, is to live like this. Timothy, here's what you're supposed to tell those people. They're supposed to live like this. God gives it to them. First of all, recognize it's from God. All good things come from him. It's God that gives us everything to enjoy. But also, they're to realize that God wants through their life to bless other people who have less or none. So, first foundational principle that we've got to get set in place if we're going to really understand what the essence of life is or why we're here, what this life is to be all about is it's all about God. Secondly, It's all his. And then thirdly, let me state it and then I'll explain it. It's all about forever. It's all about forever. Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Let me ask a question before I read this and we'll find the answer. Is Jesus against treasures? Is Jesus Christ against treasures? Luke 12, 33, Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Jesus is not against riches. Jesus says, Go for the right ones. Don't go for stuff that's just going to be burned up in a trash pile at the end of history, man, or at the end of your life. Go for what really matters. Build up treasure for yourself toward heaven, toward the eternal things. Don't waste your time down here working for what you cannot keep. Spend this fleeting moment on earth living for what you can never lose forever. I mean, this principle is so simple. It is so simple that a six-year-old can understand it. Let me illustrate that. I have... Four kids. If when they were six, I would have said to them, before dinner, held up a really nice big lollipop, and they love lollipops, and I said to them, here's what you can do. You can have one lick before dinner and no more, period. Or you can wait till after dinner, and you can ravish the whole thing. At six years old, they would, would have been no question for them. I'll, I'll take the ravishing after dinner instead of the lick now, right? You see, that illustration right there, so simple, but it really paints an incredible picture of what we're talking about here. Jesus said, there is a reward to come. 
There's a way to live life right here, right now, for the reward that is to come. So what you can do with life is you can either take one lick right now and get nothing forever, or you can wait for this life, working for the reward that is coming, and you will never be able to lick through the lollipop. It'll be an endless reward that can never be diminished, that will never rot, will never be stolen. It'll be a forever reward. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, that illustration doesn't even do it justice because this life compared to eternity is infinitely greater than the distance between one lick and ravishing the lollipop after dinner. Eternity never ends. So you can take this fleeting moment called life, get your priority right, understand that this life is not about me and it's not all mine and I'm not in control and understand it's all about God, that it's all His and I need to live for forever. I need to do what I'm doing right now based upon what I know about forever and you will be not the fool of Jesus' story, but you'll be the wise man from the perspective of God who gave life. And he won't say to you at the end of your life, you fool, you fool. He'll say, you are wise because you've taken that little teeny slice of time and live for an endless eternity, enter into the reward that I want to lavish on you in indescribable ways forever and ever and ever. Luke chapter 12, verse 34. He says it in a closing principle at the end. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Good question for you. Where's your treasure? And what are the things that are taking your focus in life? What do you value in life? What are you pursuing in life? Those are the things that are going to tell you where your treasure is. If that's a bunch of stuff, you're in danger of being called a fool by God. Because your life might be over before next Sunday. And then who will get what you have stored up? But if you live with your vision on heaven and you live this life not for what you can get out of it, but for how you can make it all about God. Oh, there's a reward coming, an eternal reward coming. Now, we're going to end this service just with a prayer. I want to pray a prayer over you, and then we're going to take communion. So why... Why communion? I mean, how does that fit with what we're talking about here? It fits perfectly with what we're talking about here. Here's why. 
Because the first step to you getting on the right path in life and understanding what life is really about is you have to come to Jesus Christ and be remade. You have to put your faith in Jesus because when you do that, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, those who are in Christ are a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So when you recognize that Jesus is God who went to the cross and died for your sins and paid their penalty and then he rose from the dead and you come to him and you say, oh God, forgive me of my sins through what Christ has done. Give me a brand new life. Then what happens is not only are you alive physically as you have been, you become alive spiritually and you begin to live a life that is after the purposes of God instead of after your own. A life that understands that it's all about God, it's all His, and it's ultimately all about forever. So communion is for those of you who have accepted Christ as your Savior, who have been remade by Christ. Or you can do that today for the first time. If you're here this morning and you realize what you haven't realized before, that Jesus is really God and that Jesus is the one that gave you life and that Jesus is the one that can give you a brand new life spiritually even right now so that you can begin to live for the very purpose of life that you were created for. You can accept Christ right now and that can start in a moment. I want to pray lead you in a prayer if you want to pray and accept Christ and then we'll take communion Father God uh, just thinking about Lord my own life and how so often I just get even as I'm trying to live for you the things of the world grab my attention and I, I put too much focus on them and I'm sorry for that. I'm sure that that's a reality of most here. I'm praying that you would just continue to shape our hearts uh, more and more like the heart of your son so that we live more and more with his unwavering vision of the hope that was to come and that caused him to live a life of commitment and for your glory Father we want to do that God those here that never accepted your son as their savior I'm asking that you'd open up their minds their hearts to understand who Jesus is that he is their God their savior that they would run to him for the grace that he wants to give. Put their trust in him and him alone and be saved, be forgiven, start a brand new life with you and then begin living it for glory. That's you this morning. I just encourage you to pray something like this. It's not the words that you say. It's the condition of your heart. God, I I do believe Jesus is your son and I believe he came and died for me and rose again defeating sin and 
death and that he offers me a new life in heaven. And I'm putting my trust in him and him alone today, asking you to forgive me for I am a sinner and I need your salvation. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.